Welcome to the Ignite Podcast, where you'll discover the secrets to ignite the growth of your agency. You want a client, team, brand harmony. And that's super important to make sure that they're all in alignment with each other. So she went from thinking, I'm not going to sell at all, to thinking, ah, these are really interesting you know, tidbits of information, I can see how they would apply to me. And this trusted advisor that's taking us on this journey is the person that I want to use to be able to sell the house. If you are feeling frustrated, the lack of growth in your agency, and you're impatient to reach those ever-moving goalposts, then here's your invitation to find out more about if and how we can help you scale and build the agency of your dreams. All we want you to do is go to fire-wave.co.uk forward slash AJMM, and that'll be in the show notes as well. Here are your hosts, Sam and Phil. In this solo episode of the Ignite podcast, I want to talk to you about content marketing, and in particular, prediction marketing. Now, you've probably never heard of prediction marketing because, well, I've made it up. But I'm going to explain to you exactly how I see prediction marketing fitting into the marketing you're doing for your agency and how you can use it to really make sure that the right people are following your content, consuming your content, and then very importantly, acting at the end of consuming your content. So the first thing you need to know when you're considering a content marketing strategy for your agency is who you're actually talking to. There's nothing more important because it doesn't matter how good your content is if it's not resonating with the right audience. So the first step is to identify your perfect client and where they are on their property journey. Now, most people start off their journey as a tenant. A tenant is somebody who is possibly in their 20s or even early 30s, and they're renting from a landlord, private landlord or whatever. They are not our target client in Ashdown Jones. We don't want tenants unless they are very cash rich and they're ready to buy and the tenancy is just a short term thing. Most tenants are tenants because of need and not because of choice. So the very beginning of a property journey, starting with a tenant, is not the people who we want to attract into our agency. The next sort of step in the journey of the property journey is as a buyer. So this is when a tenant has saved up enough or their circumstances have changed and they can go and buy a house or buy the flat they're in. In other words, they're moving from being a tenant and everything that that brings to them. So the hassle and stresses of a tenancy and dealing with a private landlord to a buyer and the journey that they take as a buyer where they're perhaps setting up home for the first time or as a family or they're you know, they're thinking about how to invest their money in that purchase. From then, a buyer inevitably at some point becomes a seller, maybe after a year, maybe after 30 years, but a buyer will almost always be one day a seller. And then perhaps some sellers also become landlords and you can see how that goes then full circle. So where are they on their property journey? They being the people that you want to attract. So perhaps you've got upsizers at the very beginning in fact, first-time buyers. And then you've got upsizers, so people who are like aspiring families, they've got, they need more space. And then eventually that aspiring family will become a downsizer. And again, it goes round and round. So this is somebody who might start off with, uh, I don't know, a one-bed or two-bed flat. Uh, That might be their first purchase, two-bed terrace, perhaps. 
And then might be three-bed semi as their family begins or grows, maybe four-bed detached if they're lucky enough, and even a forever home like a big barn conversion or a you know farmhouse or something. And funnily enough, when people get to the end of that journey and they're living in this big house, you'll probably notice yourself that when they go back down the other side of that kind of slope of buying and selling and they go to a smaller house, they might go back a couple of steps to maybe the three-bed semi as opposed to going to a four-bed detached. So you can see that people have got lots of different needs at different times of their lives in their property journey, depending on their family situation, their work situation, their health situation. They might be location dependent. They might be family dependent. So there's lots of different pushes and pulls in and out of purchases and sales their whole lives. When you think about who you want to attract, think very carefully about the kind of homes that you want to sell or let and the audience that goes with those. So typically, we deal with sideways purchases, which is an unusual audience. Most of you will be dealing with upsizers on downsizers. We tend to deal with people who are buying a second home. So it's not necessarily an upsize move because this is a discretionary purchase. And then inevitably that becomes a discretionary sale. So the language we use with somebody who is who doesn't have to buy a five million pound home on the lake and they don't have to sell the same five million pound home, it's discretionary purchase and discretionary sale. And the language we have to use with those people is very, very different from the language you might use with somebody who is living in a two bedroom terrace and suddenly finds out they're expecting triplets and has to move into a larger house. So the language you use, whether it be on video or in written form is really, really important. And as are the images that go with those. So there's no point in having lots of beautiful images of very grandiose homes if you're in a very rural area. And there's no point in having lots of photographs of first-time buyer kind of flats and houses if you want to attract downsizers. It sounds obvious, but when I look at agency websites, I can see there's a big discrepancy between the images and words they're using and the type of audience they're trying to attract. So make sure that what you're doing aligns perfectly with the audience you want to attract. If you do target your images and your words and your videos, it's far more effective because you don't have, I'm guessing, an unlimited budget to spend on marketing. So therefore, the smaller budget that you have has to work much harder. And it works much harder if you can target effectively. So you can laser focus on one part of the market to make sure that they feel that your marketing really resonates with them and then they're more likely to action or to, you know, get in touch with you or to feel that you're the agency for them because of that laser focused targeting. Much more productive than more market appraisals, more instructions, et cetera, et cetera. So you want a client, team, brand harmony. And that's super important to make sure that they're all in alignment with each other. The next step to consider once you've picked your target audience is to create content that they'll love. Now, that sounds obvious, doesn't it? But not all content is right for all audiences. What does your audience need to know? Our audience probably needs to know something completely different from your audience. But let's look at specifically an aspiring family they're probably the easiest to be able to identify into what kind of journey they're about to go on and what they decide to consume in terms of content at what point. So I've created something I call the seven stages of selling. 
And in those seven stages is actually five phases. So the first phase of selling is the status quo. So it's not actually selling at all because step one or stage one is their home fits them. And stage two is suddenly they're feeling squeezed. Now, let me explain how that goes. They've just moved into a house. They've maybe, and I'm thinking actually of a friend of mine. So Tracy and Mark, they moved into a home with no children at all. It was a nice three bed semi. They had two double bedrooms, as is often the case, and one little box room. And Tracy was using the second bedroom as her office and the box room as a guest room. Now, of course, what happens when you've been married for a few years, quite often the patter of tiny feet happen and all of a sudden bedroom two had to be the little boy, Thomas's room. And she was relegated with her office into the little box room. And then, of course, another three, four years later, Isabel arrived and all of a sudden Tracy doesn't have an office anymore and her desk is in the dining room. So she's gone from home feeling really spacious and having lots and lots of room to be able to have home office, people to stay, entertaining, to now she's feeling completely squeezed. Now, this all happened within the space of about five years. And that's very typical as, you know, the first couple of children come along. When somebody starts, and I'm thinking more Tracy than Mark, tends to be the woman that initiates this kind of process. When Tracy was considering what to do next, feeling a little bit squeezed, it was a while before she acknowledged that her house was too small, which goes into the wondering phase. The wondering phase starts off with house too small, acknowledged and accepted by preferably husband and wife, or wife and wife and husband and husband, let's try and be all inclusive on this podcast, to a what if. And once her conversations with me and her other friends went from, yeah, the house is too small, the next step is, well, could we add on an extension? Could we convert the garage? Could we convert the attic? Could we have a cabin in the garden? All these things were open for discussion and all these things came with a price tag, pros and cons that her, Tracy and Mark were discovering and discussing for several years actually in the end. From the wondering phase comes the considering phase. And a considering is when they've actually decided they probably are going to move. And the next question is then how? How is it going to happen? How are we going to time it correctly? How are we going to find the necessary money to upsize? Where are we going to go? What kind of house do we need? What about things like schooling and work? What about the logistics of actually buying a different house than the one we're living in now and moving? From there, she very quickly, I noticed, moved into planning. And planning is who's going to sell it for me? And she had three different agents out to value a house. And then that quickly moved into a commitment. And that was the instruction. And she chose Hamptons. She was actually really happy with Hamptons, so Weldon Hamptons. But she bought through Purple Bricks. So her onward purchase was through Purple Bricks. And that was a bit of a disaster. But we're not going to discuss Hamptons versus Purple Bricks on this podcast, not in this episode anyway. But I think what's interesting to know is the process that Tracy and Mark went through in order to make that decision. So home fits, then feeling squeezed, then yes, my house is too small. So that's an acceptance. And then what if, what if we moved? So that's the kind of, you know, looking at right move. And then it's the how we're going to do it. So it's logistics. Who's going to sell it for us? That's the estate agent. And then go is the commitment. Now, if you want a copy of this, by the way, I've actually got a big chart that I can send to you. If you'd send me an email at sam at fire-wave.co.uk, I'll pop it over to you and you'll be able to see 
visually what this is because it's I think it's much easier to visualize it obviously when you've got the chart in front of you. So when we're talking about what kind of content that Tracy and Mark needed at each stage, it was very different at every stage. So the stage one where the home fits, what could she possibly be reading that we could produce other than possibly home decor kind of content? So it could be a lookbook, could be a trends for the year, it could be how to make the most of your dining room, you know, kitchen looks for spring, that kind of stuff. That's not our forte. We don't tend to go down that route. But if you feel like you've got a bit of an interior design flair, then, you know, go for it. The danger, of course, is that they end up doing so much work to the house that they love it and stay there. But that's your choice. And what I would say about that kind of content is it looks beautiful. So it's, it's definitely worth considering. Stage two becomes much easier for us to write content about because that's the feeling squeezed stage. So what are they doing at this time? Well, I know that Tracy was Googling storage solutions and home organization. She was considering moving both kids into one room and so they would have maybe bunk beds. She was looking at things like underbed storage, Ikea racks for the wall, built-in storage, whether they could fit an ensuite, whether they need to swap bedrooms with the kids, all those kind of things. So there were all the things that she was Googling and she was buying things like family organizer calendars and making regular trips to Ikea, as you do when you've got little kids, don't you? So those are kind of things that you could talk about on your blog or on video content or on your socials about what to do when your house does feel a little bit squeezed, what the steps you can take. Now, the benefit of this is most estate agents don't start creating content until the very, very end of that person's journey. So by the time Tracy and Mark had decided it was time to move, that's when those estate agents' usual kind of blogs and video content would start to appear. My name is Lisa Curran and I run Curran's Unique Homes in Chester. My favourite part of being a Firewave member is definitely the mastermind days. The chance of getting in a room with people with similar challenges, I get an enormous amount from. I really love the structure of Firewave. It keeps me on track. I find it very, very easy to implement and I love the results that it brings to my business. So by the time Tracy and Mark had decided it was time to move, that's when those estate agents' usual kind of blogs and video content would start to appear and they would start to notice them. But by us talking about those kind of, you know, storage solutions, home organization, tricks and tips, very, very early on in their journey, it means that Tracy and Mark would have stayed with us along their journey all that time. And by the way, the reason we didn't sell their house is because they were in Chessington in Surrey and not here in the sunny Lake District. It's not very sunny today. It's absolutely freezing. The next stage is the house too small. This is the acceptance. Okay, Tracy and Mark agreed with each other that the house was too small. So they started researching the costs and the feasibility of things like home extensions, loft conversions, garden offices, garage conversions. You can see how that is a natural progression from we feel squeezed in our house, we've organized the hell out of it, but we haven't actually got any extra space. So therefore, where could we go? Could we go back, side, up, down? You know, what's, what are the choices open to us? So we've written posts in the past and content in the past on all the different ways that you can extend your house. In fact, we, at one point, we wrote a really great guide called Should I Stay or Should I Go? And it was the pros and cons of staying versus moving. Costs, advantages, breakdown of moving costs, all those kind of things. And I remember a gentleman phoned us and said, 
This is exactly the conversation we're having in the house at the moment. Your guide came at exactly the right time. So that's fantastic. It means that we were appealing to him in the middle of that thought process. And actually he went on to sell with us, which is even better. So the next stage is the what if stage. This is stage four. And that's when Tracy, now she could have been a little bit ahead of Mark because usually it's the lady that wants to move and not the guy, especially if they're upsizing. It's usually the lady that says, this house is too small. And the guy that says, no, come on, we can make it work. Now I know that is a little bit of a stereotype, but it's true. That's where stereotypes come from. So Tracy was browsing Rightmove and Zoopla and Prime Location and everything else she could get her hands on. I'm sure she was looking at, well, she wasn't back then looking at TikTok because it didn't exist, but I'm sure she was browsing things like Pinterest and Instagram and sort of visual ideas for what a new house might look like and how she might be able to improve her lifestyle by moving. Looking at websites and blogs about moving and driving around appealing areas. So at this point, we had produced some content on the different towns and villages in the Lake District and how good they were for families versus couples, eating out, schools, all those kind of things. So area guides, and we had them on our website under the different towns, and they were very, very popular. And we could also have driven to those towns and actually done some you know, live videos from locations to be able to speak to the people who were considering those towns and villages. And so that would be a really good thing to do at that stage, the what-if stage of somebody's journey. The next stage is the is stage five and it's the how. So how do we move? And the first stage that I noticed that Tracy and Mark were doing were they were talking to me, clearly. They were asking family and friends which agents they've used. They were posting on Facebook to ask for suggestions. They were much more active online when they were starting to look at the logistics of things like term dates, holidays they already had booked in, work commitments, areas, up and coming areas, expensive areas private schools versus local state schools, drive times, all those kind of things. So it's the logistical side of moving, not necessarily the, you know, the beautiful sort of decor side and not quite as far as the estate agent side. But they were starting to notice, you know, sort of sale boards and office locations that started becoming to their field of consciousness as they were starting to think about what the next steps would be. And then stage six was the who. So this actually happened quite quickly once they decided on the area. They booked some market appraisals, three market appraisals, and they had meetings with all those three and decided very quickly that Hamptons would be the right one for them. And then they started negotiating with them all for their fees and uh, got Hamptons at a pretty good fee, actually, I believe. And then stage seven was the instruction. And again, this kind of galloped towards the end, gathering speed, signed the paperwork, sat back expectantly, waited for the home to sell, preferably fast and for the full asking price. So the content in those last three stages, five, six, and seven, is all going to be about logistics, estate agents, how to choose an estate agent to sell your house, how quickly can I sell my house? And then it's actually content around things like viewings, accepting offers, planning, you know, moving dates, all that kind of stuff. But as I say, that is where most estate agents start their journey of content. And it's not actually this stage that's going to give you the most value, which is the very, very early stages of content. So you can see that by exploring topics that aren't actually relevant or don't seem relevant on the surface for the selling part of their journey, what you're doing is you're creating their relationship with the reader that enables them to think that you are their trusted guide throughout that process. I remember years ago, maybe three or four years ago, I was, I run a marketing club. I still run it now. 
and we're at the marketing club and I had just written a nurture sequence for people who were thinking about selling their house. So an email nurture sequence. And I'd put it on a nice capture page. And I said to everybody at the marketing club, would anybody like just to test this for me and just give me a little bit of feedback on these emails? So about five or six people signed up, which was great. One of them, Emily, let's call her, said to me a few weeks later, I'm absolutely loving these emails. I have no intention of selling, but I'm really enjoying them. So thank you. And it was a sequence of about 30 emails long, I think. When we got to about email 20 or 25, she gave me a ring and she said, I'm still not thinking about selling, but would you give me a valuation? So I went around and valued her house. She was really pleased with the valuation. I said, you will need to do a little bit of work. Read these blogs on what work you need to do. Let me guide you through that process. Before I knew it, she was on the market with us, of course. She sold with us and she's now moved on. Now, none of that would have happened if she hadn't have felt that we were her trusted advisor through that process. So she went from thinking, I'm not going to sell at all, to thinking, ah, these are really interesting, you know, tidbits of information. I can see how they would apply to me and my upsizing family. And this trusted advisor that's taking us on this journey is the person that I want to use to be able to sell the house. And our fee is far higher than anybody else in the area. We charge 1.5%. Nearest in the area is 1% to 1.25% on a good day. And therefore, she was prepared to pay a premium because she'd got that trust in our approach, let's call it. Okay, so actually, speaking of trust, there is a journey, I'm sure you've heard this before, called Know, Like, Trust, Try, Buy. And what we're doing here is we're capturing their attention with the no because they're maybe Googling things like storage solutions. They like our information and therefore they like us. So they feel warm and fuzzy and pleasantly interested in everything that we have to produce. In fact, just thinking back to a video we did years ago called How to Make Your Bed When You're Selling Your House, that captured so many people's attention. It was a very, very short video, Phil's first ever video actually, and or with him in it, should I say, probably just an arm, I think, maybe a leg. And lots and lots of people followed us at that point. And so we continued in that vein of lots of sort of fun, short tip kind of videos. And that's what got us to a good audience of people who liked us. And then that became a trust as they followed us and saw that we did, uh, we do an Ask AJ live video every Wednesday. We have been doing that for about three and a half years now, except for when Liam forgets. And then that trust that we're always going to be there the following Wednesday for another short tip video is something that creates just a feeling in the audience that they know us. So they're much more likely to try, which is evaluation, and then buy, which is the instruction. So know, like, trust, try, buy is the journey that exactly matches those one to seven stages of somebody selling their house. Just to remind you what that is, home fits, so status quo, feeling squeezed, house too small, what if, how, who, instruction. The last thing I just want to mention is know why you're doing it. Because it's not easy to produce all this content. We have produced so much content for estate agents and for consumers that I shudder to even think. I think I worked out at one point, which is about four years ago, I'd have written my millionth word and God knows how many videos we've done. Probably done about 70 or 80 videos a year, just me and Phil, for a number of years now. So it's a lot of work. You might think it's not worth it, but I can promise you it is worth it. If I tell you that Home Truth, which was my first sort of foray into having my own property business, which started in 2004, 
Between 2004 and 2009, I could not get any more than 300 visitors a month to my website. I've really struggled. I've tried everything except for content creation. So I kept changing my website, kept putting nice photographs up on it. I didn't have any money to pay for any SEO. So actually, when somebody suggested in 2010 that I come on a blogging workshop, I thought, well, I'm going to give it a go because I don't know what else to do. I, don't, I can't find a way of getting more people to my website. At the time, I was writing letters lots and lots of letters. And of course, we still do that. And that was the only way I was actually getting those visitors every single month. So in 2011, I looked at my analytics and saw that my 300 visitors a month to my website had gone up to 1,000 visitors a month. By 2014, that was 3,000 a month. Now I can tell you that, and I haven't blogged for years, all we do is turn over the old blogs. We get between six and 8,000 unique visitors a month to a website I don't even use anymore. It's not even it's got no new content on it. It's got, you know, actually pretty outdated content on it as well, if I'm, if I'm honest. And we don't monetize the site at all. It just sits there. But those visitors keeps coming in and I know that I can monetize it or do something with it at some point in the future. Not sure when. But you'll see if you start Googling things like, can I sell my house with social media? Do I need a floor plan to sell my house? Now, for years and years and years, Home Truths came up on the first page. Now, I would say we probably superseded it with our own Ashdown Jones websites and also the websites of our member agents who have used our content as well, using exactly the same techniques to appeal to the right audiences in the right way with the right blog titles and content. But it's still well respected by Google. And I got that by blogging consistently for all those years. So it's definitely, definitely worth doing. In fact, Perry, Perry Power from Power Bespoke says, it's all about positioning yourself as the expert. So you attract business rather than trying to scrap for it. And I really like the way you said that. I think it showcases our talents and expertise. It shines a light on our ethics. It unpacks our service and the work that we put into each and every client, every house, every sale, every tenant, every landlord, if you do lettings as well. You do need to make your blog or your content look good, but actually people do like a little bit of raw and authentic. We'll quite often do handheld videos. We'll do a TikTok video. Uh, we'll just have a bit of fun with it. And the actual, the written content if you read it, you'll find it's not formal. We use words that you wouldn't normally expect to read on the stage and blog. It's just, it's fun. It's conversational. And as I say, it's authentic. It's us. So there you go. Identify your perfect client, create content that they'll love, know why you're doing it and embrace prediction marketing as your go-to content marketing strategy for the next year. And let me know how you go. Thank you very, very much for listening to this solo episode. And we'll catch you on the next Ignite podcast episode. See you then. If you are feeling frustrated with the lack of growth in your agency and you're impatient to reach those ever-moving goalposts, then here's your invitation to find out more about if and how we can help you scale and build the agency of your dreams. All we want you to do is go to fire-wave.co.uk forward slash AJMM and that'll be in the show notes as well where you'll find full information on all of our amazing mastermind programs.